It's Friday, August 11th. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And I am Priyanka Arabindi, and this is What A Day, the podcast that wants just one luxury vacation. Meanwhile, Justice Clarence Thomas is over there getting 38. One doesn't feel like a lot to ask for. And ProPublica's new report says they were all funded by conservative benefactors. Lucky him. Maybe I need to get me some conservative friends, Priyanka. (laughs) (laughs) On today's show, negotiations are back on between Hollywood studios and striking writers. Plus, the first of Trump's many criminal trials could start as soon as January 2nd. But first, the rescue efforts continue in Maui after fast-moving wildfires caused catastrophic damage across the island this week. The death toll from the wildfires has risen to 53, with several others wounded as of the time of our recording at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. Those numbers could, of course, change in the coming hours and days. According to officials, the blaze is currently 80% contained. Yeah, I've been seeing the photos, the videos, not looking great by any means. No. What's it like on the ground there at the moment? I mean, the devastation is just widespread. The aerial footage shows wreckage where the historic town of Lahaina used to be. The people who've survived just have the most harrowing accounts of evacuating their homes, trying to escape the flames. As we were telling you on yesterday's show, some people even jumped into the ocean to get away from the flames. Take a listen to Lahaina resident Kakoa Lansford's account from Hawaii now. Still get dead bodies in the water floating and on the seawall. They've been sitting there since last night. We've been pulling people out since last night, trying to save people's lives. And I feel like we're not getting the help we need, you know? Oh my God. You can hear the devastation, the desperation in their voice. Yeah, definitely. And there's also been a huge issue around shelter on the island. Thousands of Maui residents have been displaced by this catastrophe. 11,000 customers don't have power. And of course, the island had many tourists who were there earlier this week on vacation. On Wednesday, over 14,000 people were moved off of the island, with another 14,500 moved yesterday. They were either sent to other Hawaiian islands to finish up their vacations or back to their home states and countries. However, the focus in Maui at the moment is very rightfully so on helping the island's residents who are in desperate need of food and shelter in the aftermath of this disaster. Yeah, what do we know so far about the recovery efforts? Yeah, there are groups and aid workers on the ground who are working to help people in real time. We will link in our show notes to some ways that you can support them. That's definitely a great place to contribute. But this is a huge disaster. There's also aid coming in at the federal level. That is the magnitude that this is at. On Thursday, President Biden issued a federal disaster declaration and had this to say. I've ordered all available federal assets on the island, including the U.S. Coast Guard, the Navy Third Fleet, and the U.S. Army, to assist local emergency response crews, along with the Hawaiian National Guard. He ensured that anyone who lost their homes or loved ones would be getting help immediately, and that FEMA Administrator Deanne Criswell will be on the ground in Maui today to ensure that survivors have access to federal assistance ASAP. In addition to streamlining these processes, a disaster declaration can include things like grants for temporary housing and repairs, low-cost loans to cover property losses that were uninsured, and other things that can help people rebuild their lives and livelihood in the coming days, weeks, and months. 
Once again, if you are able to help, we are including a list of groups and funds in Maui that could use your donations in our show notes. If you're able to contribute, it is so desperately needed by so many at this time. So please take a look at those and consider doing so if you can. Absolutely. Now on to an update on the Hollywood strikes, which for the writers just crossed the 100-day mark. Today, the Writers Guild of America and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which represents the industry's top studios and streamers, both groups will be returning to the negotiating table. Now that 100-day mark is an important milestone because it means this strike is now longer than the previous one from 2007 that also transformed the industry in irreversible ways, such as the birth of reality TV star Donald Trump due to the rise of Celebrity Apprentice, or my personal qualm of all of this, the canceling of the iconic TV show Girlfriends. <laughs> the Guild's negotiating committee co-chair Chris Kaiser told The Hollywood Reporter that the 100-day mark is, quote, an anniversary of shame for the Producers Alliance. Yeah, certainly is. So can you remind us what the writers are asking for in all of this? They're asking for a few different things. They want better pay and a better system for residuals, in particular to account for how streaming has changed the industry so much. They also want minimums placed on how small a writer's room can be because studios have been, in their words, abusing what's known as mini rooms. And they also want to regulate how artificial intelligence can be used as to not replace actual human writers. Right. All very important things. How has the strike impacted these writers so far, especially now that we are 100 days over three months in? Yeah. So I'm sure you'll remember this quote that an executive said in the press a few weeks ago. He said, quote, the end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their houses, which I know you remember it made a big stink, a big storm in the industry and beyond because yeah. how heartless can you be in this type of process? Totally. I don't think anyone will be forgetting that one for a long time. Right. Well, 100 days later, that is exactly what's happening. One writer told NBC News, quote, I feel like I'm subsidizing this strike with my savings in a way that's starting to get scary. She says that after writing on an award-winning show just last year, she's been cobbling together these stopgap gigs to make ends meet, like walking dogs, nannying, doing travel arrangements for folks, doing paid surveys. And then there's another writer, Corey Deshawn. He's a third-year Writers Guild member and says that the last few months have been, in the words of singer Vivian Green, an emotional roller coaster, especially for early career screenwriters like himself, and even more so for Black and queer creators who are really just getting opportunities, especially after, you know, the great racial reckoning of 2020. He said, quote, it's demoralizing to try to build a successful career right now. And if you go on social media, you'll hear of a variety of folks, writers, actors as well, right? sharing their stories, sharing how these strikes are impacting them. One of the more notable ones was Billy Porter, who revealed that he had to sell his home to make ends meet. And if Wild. somebody with that level of visibility and celebrity has to sell their home, imagine what rank and file folks, right, are having to do. Totally. As always, we are expressing solidarity with the striking workers and the actors, but that is the latest for now. Let's get to some headlines. Headlines. 
We have two more updates on Trump's legal woes. First, prosecutors working under special counsel Jack Smith asked U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin for a January 2nd starting trial date. This is for the case where Trump is charged for attempting to overturn the 2020 election. The prosecutors say that starting right after New Year's would, quote, vindicate the public's strong interest in a speedy trial. It would also be about two weeks before the first Republican primary in Iowa. Trump's lawyers are predicted to respond to the prosecutor's date in the coming days. They previously indicated that they want to delay the process as long as possible. But the start date is for Judge Chutkin to decide, and she is expected to make her decision during a court hearing on August 28th. Moving on to another of Trump's cases, this time the one for classified documents held at Mar-a-Lago, Trump and his longtime aide Walt Nauta pleaded not guilty yesterday to the updated charges they face. Those charges include trying to delete incriminating security footage at Mar-a-Lago. Listen, January 2nd, let's just hit the ground running in 2024. I'm into that timing. I think that's about right. Mm-hmm. The United States and Iran reach a deal to free five detained Americans in exchange for the release of some jailed Iranians and access to $6 billion of Iran's funds in South Korea. Iran on Thursday transferred four Iranian-American dual citizens to house arrest from Tehran's notorious Avin prison. Three of the five total prisoners are Siamak Namazi, Imad Shargi, and Murad Tabaz, all of whom were detained on unsubstantiated charges of spying and sentenced to 10 years in prison. The families of the other two prisoners withheld their names. And according to the New York Times, the prisoners will stay under house arrest at a hotel in Tehran for several weeks and will only be allowed to leave once the agreed-upon assets hit the central bank in Qatar, which will be regulating the money. Those assets include $6 billion in Iranian oil revenue in South Korea, which Iran will be able to access only for humanitarian purposes like buying food and medicine. Officials say that process is expected to be completed in the next month or so. As for the Iranian prisoners in the U.S., the Biden administration declined to comment or confirm details about them to news organizations, but the Times reports that the administration will free a, quote, handful of Iranian prisoners when the detained Americans return to the U.S. The outgoing Ecuadorian President Guillermo Lasso has declared a nationwide state of emergency for 60 days following Wednesday's assassination of presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio in the capital of Quito. Lasso has also stated that the country will observe a three-day mourning period and that the August 20th election will go forward as planned. In a televised statement, Lasso told Ecuadorians that, quote, we aren't going to hand over power and the democratic institutions to organized crime. The elections aren't going to be suspended. The country has already been suffering from a surge in violent crime as gangs from Mexico and Colombia have used Ecuador's ports in recent years to ship cocaine. So far, six Colombian nationals have been arrested in connection with the killing. There have been conflicting accounts of those claiming responsibility for the murder from different gangs, but what is known is that Villa Vicencio isn't the only politician who has been killed recently. The mayor of the city of Manta was shot dead last month, and so was a candidate for the National Assembly in the coastal city of Esmeraldas. The Supreme Court on Thursday put on hold a bankruptcy settlement involving OxyContin maker Purdue Pharma. That settlement would have shielded the family who owns the company from future civil opioid lawsuits. The court sided with the Justice Department in an unsigned order yesterday agreeing to review the case and pause the $6 billion settlement plan. The justices will hear arguments about the case in December. 
Thursday's move comes after a federal appeals court back in May approved the deal protecting the Sackler family, who themselves are not seeking bankruptcy protection from these opioid lawsuits. But the Justice Department has opposed shielding the family from liability, and legal experts have said that the settlement could set a troubling precedent for other bankruptcy agreements between wealthy people and companies. Health experts have pointed to OxyContin for fueling the opioid crisis, and nearly 80,000 deaths were linked to opioids in the U.S. just last year. And if you've ever had FOMO when you saw your friends post selfies from Italy or Coachella, just wait for it. Virgin Galactic, the space tourism company founded by British billionaire Richard Branson, sent its first tourists into space yesterday after being delayed for several years. The passengers were a mother-daughter duo from Antigua and a former British Olympian who has Parkinson's disease. The spaceship took off from Spaceport America in New Mexico for the 90-minute trip, where they were able to experience a short period of zero gravity and see the views of Earth from the windows. The success of Virgin Galactic's flight means that the company will now be joining Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin and Elon Musk's SpaceX in the space tourism business. When John Goodwin, the British Olympian, first bought his ticket for this trip, the year was 2005 and it cost him $250,000. Now that ticket would cost a cool $450,000. Keisha Shahaf and her 18-year-old daughter Anna Mayers won their tickets aboard in a sweepstakes organized by the nonprofit Space for Humanity. They are some of the first people from the Caribbean to travel to space and the first from Antigua. I mean, this is a very expensive ticket to go to space. You got a lot of money just sitting on your hands if you want to spend it on going to space. I have a lot of thoughts on this. First, if they're auctioning off seats on this spaceship for like this first voyage, I don't know. I would maybe wait. Why can't they fill them? Mm-hmm. If people are wanting to go on this, maybe I wouldn't be so eager to like take that spot from the sweepstakes. But also, another thought, I just have absolutely zero FOMO here. Like, I would have so much more FOMO (laughs) from looking at the Italy pictures, from looking at the Coachella pictures. Like, I think that is warranted. From a fucking space trip, that's totally fine. I feel like I can watch a documentary, look at some pictures from NASA, and we are good. Like, there are some things you don't need to experience to believe, and I think the enormity of this planet as viewed from space is just something that we can just comprehend without having to actually experience for ourselves. Yeah, I just think that there are certain activities that you leave to the experts, to the people who've studied and trained and all of that. And going to space feels like one of them. It's up there with a Titanic exploration in my mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those are the headlines. We'll be back after some ads with some of the best memes from the best news headline we read this week, the riverboat brawl in Alabama. What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach & Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. 
but we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. It's Friday Wad Squad, and for today's Temp Check, we're diving into the memes about the Montgomery Riverboat Brawl, like Scuba Gooding Jr. diving into the river. That's one of my (laughs) personal favorites. Same, same. We told you about it earlier this week, but a quick reminder, a fight broke out on the riverfront last Saturday in Montgomery, Alabama, when a group of white folks in pontoon boats attacked a black dock worker. Some guy really just trying to do his job, y'all. That worker was really just trying to get them to move because they were in the spot reserved for a city-owned riverboat trying to dock. The TLDR of all of this is they fucked around and they found out. Four of the white pontoon people have been arrested so far. No one was seriously injured, but the whole event has become a huge source of absolutely hilarious memes. Mm -hmm. So there is the hat, the man who initially is being attacked and like the conflict is starting and you can see he uh, takes off his hat and just throws it in the air. I don't know why I'm miming this. This is a podcast. (laughs) He just throws it in the air, but like extremely high Mm -hmm. and basically kicking off the whole thing. There's the chair. A man walks up holding a folding chair and just like goes like full WWE. There's the swimming man who dives off of the boat and swims in the water to get in Mm -hmm. on the fight. There are a lot of elements at play here, but all of them are more incredible than the last. But Trayvall, what are some of your favorites that you have seen so far? I agree with you that the hat is, you know, not talked about enough. There's no reason to throw your hat like that. Right. But it's great. But see, this is the thing. And I should say, I've seen people, you know, do memes like him throwing up the hat and there's like a bat signal in the sky that, you know, summons (laughs) all of the folks. So I really love that. You know, I also really enjoy, I mentioned this one on the show earlier about the Avengers Endgame edit that I've seen (laughs) with the portals popping up with folks coming out of it. Um, That's been really enjoyable for me as a, um, you know, Marvel fan. Um, And then my last one that I really loved, and this isn't much of a meme per se, but it's the fact that the name of the boat was named Harriet. And so I've seen all of these edits of like Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks, you know, showing up and like cheering on the black fat fighters. And I just love that we're able to take some important history and have fun with it. I love that for us. The kids aren't learning it in school, so (laughs) this is where they need it. I would agree. All of the above are things I also enjoy. One of my personal favorites is Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial that has been photoshopped to include the chair, which I think is hysterical. So good. There's also all the names. Scuba Gooding Jr. I think is one of the most notable ones. There's like a whole laundry list we could go through. And I also personally really enjoy on TikTok, like the people who have just taken to their backyard pools to reenact this with their friends with like, (laughs) you can tell they've done the work. They have done a close watch of this. They're reenacting every single. Yes. It's amazing when something captures the imagination like this has. It's rare, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It absolutely is. And just like that, we have checked our temps. And remember that the Second Amendment protects your right to bear folding chairs. Thank you so much, NRA. You're good for something.
One more thing before we go. Have you ever worn a Black Lives Matter shirt to work? And what are the rules around bringing up the Alabama boat brawl in your work Slack channel? In Work Appropriate's most recent episode, host Anne Helen Peterson and guest Garrett Bucks answer questions from white listeners who are struggling to find the best ways to exert allyship around social justice issues at work. Listen to this interesting conversation and more every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, send your money to Maui, not space, and tell your friends to listen. And if you are into reading and not just where the nearest exit is on a Virgin Galactic flight like me, well, today is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And And send send Clarence Thomas Thomas on a space space vacation. vacation. Yeah, hopefully one without a return flight. It's fine. We could use a replacement of his seat. Just straight to Pluto. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our show's producers, Itzy Quintanilla, Raven Yamamoto, and Natalie Bettendorf are our associate producers. Our intern is Ryan Cochran, and our senior producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. Hey there, What a Day listeners. We have a new true crime podcast that will have you on the edge of your seat. For almost two decades, DEA agent Chad Scott stopped at nothing to put drug dealers behind bars. He controlled a web of snitches and played people like pawns. His successes earned him awards from his superiors, but his willingness to bend the rules made him enemies of his fellow agents and gave him a terrifying reputation on the streets. Think of the real-life Training Day or The Wire. You will hear exclusive insight into the elusive world of the DEA and the hidden truth behind the war on drugs. The story of Chad Scott gets you on the front lines to see how the war on drugs is waged. From Sony Music Entertainment, listen and follow Smokescreen, Betrayal on the Bayou, wherever you get your podcasts.